25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the hole. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y-6-6-5. The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. All right. Let's go. Hour two of the show off and running here on this Reaction Monday. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents. Competitive rates. Fast service. Friendly service. That's what you get at Farm Bureau. In fact, this was yesterday on Sunday. I'm going to pull this up for you. It's not my experience, but somebody um, brought this up. Check it out here. Somebody tweeted to me. Brooks tweeted to me yesterday, and he said, big shout out to Farm Bureau. Well, and on Twitter, they are at Farm Bureau MS. Uh, and he said, let me, let me get it pulled up here so I don't delay here. Okay, so he said, big shout out to at Farm Bureau MS and my agent, Jeffrey Ray. By the way, Jeff Ruay, former baseball player at Mississippi State, he's in Pontotoc with Farm Bureau Insurance. Um, and he said, Jeffrey Ray, he said, I was in a bind with dead battery locked out of my truck, texted him on Sunday, and within 30 minutes had a locksmith at my house. Hashtag the home team. Hashtag Farm Bureau. Hashtag back in business. Attaboy. See, that's the way it works. That's the way it works with Farm Bureau Insurance and appreciate the testimonial. Lots and lots of texts came through in hour number one. And I told you here in hour number two, we're going to get to some stuff. In hour one, we talked about effort. Okay, the idea of playing with effort. And that being a base requirement. It's not something that we... We walk around. We don't give credit. We don't pat on the back, say, an NFL team for playing with great effort. Played really hard, do we? 32 NFL teams, even the worst ones. Look at the Miami Dolphins, the worst ones. Winning, winless still at this point. Who else is winless? The Bengals, their fans, their coaches, their players, None of us, the media, nobody gets a pat on the back in the NFL because you played harder with great effort. Guess what? They all have to every single week or they get fired. They lose their jobs. Who was it said winning fixes everything? Yeah. Yogi, Yogi Berra or somebody. Yeah. Well, it does. Winning fixes everything. But it's just a baseline requirement. It, it's it's, it's kind of like, Hey, look, you ran out on the field with your helmet on. Congrats. a boy. For running out on the field with your helmet on. It's the same thing. Hey, congrats for playing hard. If you don't play hard, all in the world, that is an indication of a, of a you got an issue. 
in the NFL. And, you know, frankly, I just think you should have the same expectation in college. Okay, so we talk about effort and playing hard, energy, emotion, all those different things. Roger, the the great but funny coach of the uh, original Tampa Bay Buccaneers, John McKay. John McKay won like three national championships as a college coach at USC out in California. And then he was the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like one of the worst teams of all time. And somebody asked him about, you know, um, being emotional. Do you, does a team have to play with great emotion in order to be good? And he said, no, not really. He said, my wife gets emotional all the time. And frankly, she stinks at football, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, just all kinds of stuff. He's also the one who said, hey, what do you think about the execution of your team? He said, I'm all for it. Um, he, he had great one-liners. So effort, emotion, all those things, it's just a part of it. If it's not there, it's a big deal. But if it's there, it's just what everybody's supposed to have. So the next thing that I think you have to talk about is culture. You know, everybody goes, well, is such and such team well coached? And everybody talks about chemistry. Think of it in terms of culture. And I'm going to give you some examples of the kind of culture you have to have or what everybody's looking for in terms of culture and where that comes from. But first, on the text line, 885-ESPN, a whole bunch of texts. It's one of those deals on a Reaction Monday. A lot of people texting in, and um, we could probably use up a whole – show two hours worth just getting to all the text so let me get to some of those now so i don't get too far behind true maroon texts the show and he says this the players don't give a crap man you have the lack of effort for one and then you have players on social media liking posts that are knocking the coaching staff during freaking halftime man exclamation point so two things one well really one major thing send me the proof of players um, being negative in some way, either posting or liking something at halftime of a game about their coaching staff. Show me the proof. that I want to see it. I want to see it. Because if it's a rumor, then y'all can take that rumor and shove it. You hear me? Let me make that real clear. Now, if it's not a rumor and it is a fact, I want to see it. Send that screenshot. Send me the screenshot. Because if it is then we got a big problem to go over. If that, if what you're saying, True Maroon, is fact, send it to me, please, because I'm going to have a real problem with it and I'm going to light some people up. But I got news for you. Phones but, but, well, I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's the problem. That's a problem if it's true. But I want to see the proof because if there is not proof, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my lighter instead of lighting them up, I'm going to light you up and your message board buddies. I'm going to light you up for spreading that kind of rumor if it, in fact, it is not true. And I just disagree with the idea that the players don't give a crap. I have not seen that yet. Um, Be Steady says... You can't be one-dimensional. He's talking about the Ole Miss game. Look at this. He says, my takeaway, Rich Rod doesn't trust his quarterbacks to throw over the middle of the field. A few times they didn't call a run, they called a go-route 50-50 ball or quarterback rolling out, quick outs. 
Linebacker never had to honor the pass. They just played the run. Corral was on early, and they let him get cold. You know, the switching of quarterbacks in and out is a tough deal. I, there's this rumor going around that, you know, there's a minor knee thing for Plumley. Plumley gives you the best chance to win ball games because you can run the ball with him. You're not going to beat anybody at Ole Miss throwing the ball. Well, I say anybody, most of the teams on your schedule this year, if you're an Ole Miss fan, listen to me. You're not going to beat them throwing the ball. You're throwing the ball to keep them honest and to do something so you can run the ball. That's what they're doing. And you got the best chance to run the ball with Plumlee in there. Now, neither of those guys are very tall. And part of the reason you may not see the ball thrown in the middle is they can't see. Even tall quarterbacks have a hard time seeing across the middle of the field. That's why coaches with young quarterbacks very often don't have them throwing a ball in the middle of the field. Unless it's, you know, some really specific design of something you're going to do a couple times. Um, unnamed Texture said, it looks to me like I, the offense has gone backwards under Moorhead. It has to be too complicated. It needs to be simplified. Um, there probably is something to the idea that they need to simplify it to get it going. They're lear- probably learning that. Much of what you saw in the game plan Saturday against LSU mirrored what they did in their game plan last year when they beat Auburn. Remember, they were desperate. Auburn came in there as a top 10 team state, beat them. And what did they do? They went empty a lot, motion Kylan Hill to the backfield and even give it to him on a speed sweep into the motion or bring him in motion, come back the other way. A lot of stuff to Kylan Hill, get him the ball. But a lot of that game plan Saturday was a lot like what they did uh, back then. Um, Sean on the text line, Matt, what was the, what was the worst call by the officials you saw between state and LSU? It was the same official and he did it twice. The back judge, in other words, behind the free safeties on defense on either side. Once he threw a, there was a, there was a pass up the sideline away from him about 25 to 30 yards away. And he threw his flag as far as he could throw it to call pass interference. It wasn't a pass interference. It was a bad call to begin with. If he was two feet away, it's an even worse call for him to call that from 30 yards away when there's an official literally two feet away who did not reach for his flag who had a much better vantage point. It was a back judge on a crew that wanted to get on television. And then he turns around and throws an offensive pass interference against LSU. That was a bogus call, and he's 30 yards away from that and couldn't see it. And let me tell you something about that officiating crew. It was like the second game that they had all worked together as a crew. And in both games now that they've worked together, they've thrown flags like they can't throw them fast enough. They threw, they had the Florida-Kentucky game, and there were 17 flags thrown in that one, nine against Kentucky, eight against Florida. And then in their second game here, working together as a crew against State, uh, for State LSU, they threw a total of 20 flags. <laughs> Seven against LSU and 13 against Mississippi State. It was overall both ways a poorly officiated game. They called things they should not have, and they didn't call things they should have on both sides. Just poorly officiated. All right, real quick here. I want to know what y'all think. And you can get at me in a couple different ways. You can tweet at Radio Wyatt. You can text the show at 885-ESPN, or you can call me, which I prefer. Give me a call if you want to weigh in on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Your Kubota dealer 
It is 995-1059. I mentioned this to you a minute ago. What about culture? When you hear that term, team has culture. They have a winning culture. Over there on that team, they have the kind of culture where they can plug players in and just keep right on winning and all that kind of stuff. And in Jackson, you're too So what does that mean, to have that kind of culture? What, in fact, is it? What do you think that is? Let me give you an example. The New Orleans Saints, what are they now? Are they 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater? They aren't five and zero. They four and zero since Drew Brees got hurt. How about the culture? I want to think about the culture of the New Orleans Saints at this point. Okay, we know the kind of offensive team, the kind of, frankly, just the operation they run under Sean Payton with Drew Brees kind of at the the helm of the organization, so to speak. And all those other guys. Okay, so they're five and zero. They're six and one overall. They're five and zero with Teddy Bridgewater. The reason that team can lose Drew Brees and plug in Teddy Bridgewater and keep right on going, listen to me, is not because Teddy Bridgewater is as good as Drew Brees. It's because of their culture. They have a winning culture. Meaning, somebody goes down, we all pick up the slack. We're all pulling the rope the same direction. We don't have selfish guys. We don't have contract distractions. They signed Michael Thomas as early as they could do it. We don't have doubt. We're going to find a way to do it with Teddy Bridgewater. Let's coach around him. They have a winning culture. It is hard to define, but they have it. And the results prove that. People are talking right now in the national sports media stuff and saying Teddy Bridgewater is going to be an NFL starter next year on a team because of what he's doing with the Saints. No, he is not. Listen to me. He is not going to be a starter on an NFL team next year. There are reasons for that. The primary reason is no franchise that no team that feels like they have a a long-term option somewhere, whether it's draft or free agency or somebody on the team, got a long-term option, they're not going to bring in Teddy Bridgewater and turn it over to him because of the injury history. Teddy Bridgewater, this is what he is at this point, is a top-flight NFL backup quarterback who can go in and play six games, seven games for you, hopefully stay injury-free, and give you a chance to win if and when your starter is out. Because of his injury history and lack of arm strength, teams that have any other viable option are not going to bring him in and turn their offense over to him and expect him to go and lead them for 16, 17, 18 games, including the playoffs. They're not doing it. What's wrong with somebody in the NFL being one of the best backups in the NFL for that role when he's needed? And the Saints are going to prioritize him because Drew Brees is no spring chicken. We'll see what happens next year. He's not going to be – people don't think through that. 
He's an example of the culture. The Philadelphia Eagles, I know they got their butts beat last night. Embarrassed. I know that. They're banged up, all this kind of stuff. But think back to their Super Bowl a few years ago. They lose Carson Wentz. Nick Foles goes right in there, leads them down the field. Foles had been decent. He's an NFL quarterback, but he was nobody's star. And he had been to what? One team or two teams prior to going to the Eagles and becoming their backup. I mean, he's not Tom Brady. But the Eagles that year had the kind of culture where you can absorb the loss of a good player and just plug and play and keep on going because it's not just one player. You think about the Patriots. How many people do they replace year in and year out? They're the best team in the NFL this year with a drop in offense and no Rob Gronkowski. And they're still the best team because now their defense is better better than it was. (laughs) They're going to find a way to win with the players they have. They don't have to have the most talented roster to be the best team because they have the best culture. It's hard to define it. We're going to find out about the Chiefs and Andy Reid here coming up. So culture, it's winning culture. It's an atmosphere where you have people come in and they raise their level just to be able to fit in with everybody else. Culture. People can say what they want about the Rams. Tough start this year, had the big loss to Tampa Bay. What did they do? They realized they got one halfway decent year out of Marcus Peters, a cancer in a locker room. He was a cancer in the locker room in Kansas City. They couldn't get rid of him fast enough in spite of the fact he was the best cover corner one-on-one in the NFL at that time. Got rid of him. That bad in the locker room. He goes, gets one good year in the, in the Rams organization. They get to the Super Bowl. What do they do? Cut him loose. And now they brought in Jalen Ramsey. Culture. Remember that. Winning culture. All right, here we go. Divinity Equipment Phone. Who's up first? Rebel Red and Blue on the Divinity Equipment Phone. What's up? Hey, guys. How are y'all? Great. What's happening? Can we, can we speak on officiate in a second? Absolutely. Uh, ridiculous officiating, I might add. Mm-hmm. Did you see the uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that was thrown against Washington? No, but I saw the one, the personal foul against Tennessee in that Alabama game. Did you see that one? Yeah. Washington player went into the end zone on a kickoff and laid down on the numbers and the purple trying to blend in with the numbers on the the, the letters in the end zone. And when they kicked the ball, the returner uh, grabbed the ball, pitched. He then got up and was pitched the ball and had a big return. They threw unsportsmanlike conduct on him and said the reason. And when explaining it, the official said it's because they had intent to deceive. <laughs> well, isn't that what you do on every play? Uh, if you're on defense or all, you're intending to deceive the other team? You ever well, heard of a sneak? Well, yeah. Rebel Red and Blue, what would they say if they ran a fumble ruski? Exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you intentionally are trying to deceive on every play you run, whether you're on offense or defense. <laughs> Intent to what deceive. What the heck is that? Yeah. So maybe SEC officials ain't totally the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. No, I don't think they are the worst. Man, listen. <clears throat> that deal in Tuscaloosa the other night, uh, What was it? what's his name? Hubert Owens, is that his name? 
the head official there, it's you know, he's a very well known official and his crew, they're calling the Alabama Tennessee game. And at a point there when I'm watching, I, I can't re- y'all might have to help me when it happened when they they called the personal foul when the guy was just for Tennessee had hit the quarterback and he was just trying to get up and he just barely laid his hand on the quarterback who was on the ground and they got angry and you know called a personal foul for roughing the quarter or unnecessary roughness. It was the most bogus BS you've ever seen. Um, it might have been third quarter, but I think it was maybe second quarter. And it was a point in the game when Tennessee was playing with them. Just before that, Tennessee offensively had put a drive together and drove it right down the field on Alabama. And you will never – I'm going to say it. Y'all run tell them I said it. Show them the video. I do not care. I do not care. Show them. All in the world I'm doing is voicing what everybody's thinking and talking about after watching that. It's another blatant example of an officiating crew taking over and manipulating a game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I think Owens himself threw the flag on this personal foul. And I got news for you. Go back and watch it. The official... When he called the penalty and, and explained what he had called, he genuinely looked angry at what he had seen on the field. And it wasn't anywhere near. And Brian Greasy, bless your heart, told him like it was. Y'all, that ain't a penalty right there. That's ridiculous. They bring in the guy in the studio. He has to agree. He's paid by the Southeastern Conference to be on the SEC Network or whatever. And Greasy told him, sorry, buddy. That's not a penalty. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Coming to the phones, I wanted to read this first, though. Gator Nation on the text line says, This rain we've got is must champs tears. Quit crying. Make more plays. You lost to a better team. Mr. White, as a player, did you blame the refs or come back and make a play? They lost by 11. That pass interference didn't cost them the game. Great job, boys. Atlanta, here we come. Signed, Gator Nation. Well, just let me say this. I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said. But, Gator Nation, remember this now. Because there's a long line. Like when you text in, it keeps this long line of text threads. So we can always go back and find it. Because I got a feeling if they blow one so severely against your beloved Gators in the Georgia game or any game, you may be one of the first ones to come in here and type it up and send to the text line just how egregious that blown call was and how bad it hurt the momentum. Because the reality is it can really change a game. One or two can really change a game. Tennessee was tracking Alabama down without Tua Tonga-Valoa in that game early on. Now, now Alabama's going to pull away at some point, but they were sure fixing to make them scare them to death. Had just gone and on offense, it, officials took it over. And then had a three and out, getting the ball back with great field position and the most bogus, 
the most bogus, unnecessary roughness, just getting up off the ground and his hand just barely shoved the poor little Alabama quarterback, and Hubert Owens got mad about it and threw his flag, and boy, you could see the anger in his eyes as he looked to the press box and called that. It And if you don't think giving them 15 yards and a new set of downs after going three and out, because about four plays later they scored. And sure, anybody can say, well, make a play. If you don't think that changes the momentum, has an effect on a game, you're crazy. And if it happens to the Gators, then don't come back over here and let me hear about it. I don't want to hear it. Because the street runs two different ways. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chris on the Divinity Equipment what? phone line. What's up, Chris? How you doing, Matt? I told you Thursday I was going to call you back, and I Good. didn't get a chance. Friday I was really busy. Um, I still want to dive down into this because, like I said, I'm off with – I mean, I don't care if Moorhead, if he wins – six games and then wins a bowl game. I just still don't think that – I mean, yeah, they look like they fought a little bit, but I think that was just absolute pride some of these guys had to go out there and say, okay, well, people are not going to be lighting me up on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really not We're really not going to get anywhere with that because, I mean, Moorhead, you've got, you've got the best back in the SEC – and maybe even the country, and you don't get him the ball. So I don't want to hear it. This is two years in a row you hadn't got him the ball. I don't want to hear it. You're not, you're not what we were sold, and it's just I'm I'm done with it. And and on that on with that that thing is I just I keep hearing everybody saying that Mississippi State's never going to get prominence we're never going to be able to win a championship we're never going to be able to never's a really long time people and usually when you say never that's when it happens and i'm pretty sure before Dabo Swinney showed up at clemson everybody was saying oh clemson can't never do this they can't never do that that's right that's bullcrap that's exactly right And i mean i i and i just i don't understand why people so what is it with buddy stevens that None of these people have come after him. Yeah, Chris, listen, I would just tell you this. I, I can't – I don't have the time really to even sit here and thoroughly explain to you the massive gargantuan difference in running a junior college football program versus running a Division One football program. It's just oh, – I understand that. It's I mean, like – it's like hey, – no, no. If, I mean, a guy like that would have to start by going and, and being an assistant and, you know, you develop the recruiting chops and coach a position and he'd have to find somebody to give him that chance. As far as I know, I can't even think of, I can't even think of an example of that junior college head coach somewhere jumping, just jumping straight into Division One football. I mean, X, the X's and O's part of it, I mean, that's just something everybody can do. There's just so much more. We're talking about head coach here. Head, being a head coach at a junior college in Mississippi compared to being a head coach at a Division One, let alone an SEC school, it's like the difference between um, f uh, flying around in a hang glider versus taking a spaceship to the moon. That's, that's about how big the right. difference is. Yeah. Right. Well, 
I, I mean, and the other thing I was going to tell you is how about my Cowboys? They 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 looked good last <laughs> night, and they and, and they did. And look, Matt, this is exactly I've told I've said it on Chris Brooks' show. I said it on Bo's show this morning. They did exactly what Ole Miss and State needs to do. They kissed their offense. They kept it simple, stupid. And I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean. Like I said on Chris Brooks' show, you're trying to run a spread offense with wing bone offense talent. You should be running the ball. I understand you want to throw oh, you're the ball. About, you're, talking about at, you're talking about at Ole Miss? Yeah. I mean, both of them. Both. Neither one of them have the talent at wide receiver. Neither one. I mean, Stephen Gidry drops the ball like he's, like he, like he's scared of it. Well, but and now so in his defense, Gidry had a great day. Uh, catching a ball against LSU, and you know they had some he guys did, make some plays. He did, but he dropped plays. three balls against LSU. He did, but he still dropped three balls. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. Mean. No, he didn't have three drops against LSU. He had two, I know, because I watched him drop two that he was wide open and there was nobody around him, and he started trying to run with the ball, no, without the ball. I don't. That's... I don't have the same memory of the game. I guess I missed it, but and I know he has so dropped where you, some. Where do you think the where do you think the momentum in that state game turned? Because I think we're going to have differences in opinion. Hmm, that's a good question. I think when Nick, I think when Nick Gibson fumbled that ball, we yeah. were headed down the field and pitched to make it fourteen to nine. And when he fumbled that ball, I think that I think that the the wind went out of the sails. I've heard some other people say that when. LSU started scoring, but I mean, yeah, it kind of looked like our offense went back to Tennessee after that because I, was I just felt like, like I, I told my daddy, I was like, "That's it, right there." Yeah, because guess what? They were supposed to be fourteen to nine on the number two team in the nation, and that they wouldn't have never give up. And it looked kind of looked like if they kind of give up there for a little while. So. Yeah, I, I think it was, it, in my opinion, it was that interception on third and 15 before half that gave it back to LSU on a short field, and it goes from a one-score yeah. game to a two-score game with 40 seconds until half, and now they're getting the ball to start the third quarter also. Now, the defense did go get a three and out to start the third quarter, which nobody expected that. You know, they did their they did their part, but then the offense – Went back-to-back three and outs in the third quarter. Didn't take advantage of that at all. So that's kind of what I thought. Hey, I appreciate the call, Chris. Thank you, man. Y'all have a good day and see ya. See ya. Uh, Adam, I got about a minute here, and I appreciate you hanging on. What's up, Adam? I'll make this real quick. I think Moorhead needs to go for the simple reason. He should have won team games last year with the team he had. He lost his bowl game to a BS team, and we've lost two game that we should have destroyed our opponents in. And this guy's in here crying about rebuild. He didn't have nothing to rebuild. It was already built. He just had to maintain it. He can't even do that. Matt, have a good day, brother. Thanks for the call, Adam. And listen, I, I appreciate you listening and hanging on as long as you did. I know you were there for a good bit, so appreciate that. Lots of texts. Plenty more to get to with you and time to do it. And your phone calls coming up in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
I'm a good football coach. Want to watch a game? All right, DJ, what's up? DJ on the Divinity Equipment phone, 995-1059. What's up, DJ? Thanks for taking my call. Always love being on your show. But, uh, you know, I'm not jumping off the Moorhead bandwagon. I said from the get-go it was a bad hire. Mullen had turned state into a destination job. They could have gone out and got somebody like Minnesota to turn Minnesota around. But not only am I going to say he was a bad hire, I've got Mississippi State's next football coach if somebody's got half a brain. Luke Fickle, coordinator, Petrosa coordinator for mine. He went to Cincinnati, went 11-2 and two last year. He's 6-1, and one, ranked in the top 17 this year. He's recruited Florida. He's recruited Texas. He's recruited California. If anybody would have half a brain, they'll back the truck full of money and offer the job to Luke Fickle. And I promise you. But the thing is, Matt, you know, State had become a destination job. They could have hired a head coach from one of these a group of five conferences, and, and I said from the get-go, you go out and hire a guy from the press box that don't have SEC ties, if they'd have hired an SEC coordinator like Mullen, that's a whole different ball game. But what's your thoughts on Luke Pickle? Well, and he was the interim at Ohio State, right, during that, that uh, Urban Meyer step-away stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, he's not the dead Cincinnati. And the thing is, He's a, he's the kind of guy State should have went after. You know, Minnesota went after B.J. Fleck, and, and he he turned a dumpster fire in the team. Now I think Minnesota's overrated. Okay. Hey, hey D.J., if you haven't read it yet, you need to look up uh, Tim Brando on Twitter, his Twitter feed. He'll have a link there. He posted something over the last 24 hours or so about it was actually comparing Minnesota and Texas. Because, right. you know, Texas has got the two losses. Yeah, it's two, you know, uh, highly ranked losses. But their best win is against a three- or four-win Oklahoma State team. Yet they were right. ranked in a preseason poll, so Texas is still ranked up there. Whereas Minnesota's undefeated, and they're not – and it makes a really – it just shows you how the media and this AP poll stuff is so convoluted and they do actually pay attention to preseason poll stuff. You'll find it very interesting. Well, I will, but the thing is, look at Minnesota. That's what State should have done. We should have went out there and found the premier group of five coaches. Because Mullen, whether you like Mullen or not, you know I'm an Ohio State fan, but I am also keep up with Mississippi State. Mullen has turned State into a destination job, and if they don't do something pretty quick, it will not continue to be a destination. Moorhead's got to go. I mean, you know, I don't have anything against the guy personally, but he's not going to turn the program around. There's just too many people thought it was a bad hire. But I hang up listening. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, DJ. Appreciate your call. Um, a lot of strong feelings on the show today. Yeah, yeah. You know, a bunch of guys have called in and they want him to go. You know, um, th- this thing, I, I don't think – you have to be very careful about lowering expectations. You, especially once you get it built up. I mean, I look. There's a lot of truth to the idea that the previous staff and administration worked really hard to raise the expectation level. 
they did. Now, with all of that said, there is a lot of truth to what uh, Jason and some others have alluded on my Twitter feed. If y'all want to go read it, the comments on my Twitter feed, I'm at Radio Wyatt. Jason said, maybe eight-win expectation would have been justified, but a lot of this year's expectations were never going to be justified with all that turmoil at quarterback, replacing so much experience and responsible for those expectations on defense, not Joe Moorhead, and you know, then you compare it to past coaches and that kind of stuff, and it's true. Okay, the thing is, there. Let's let's look at it. The reason that there are so many critical voices is because there's worry about what's going to happen going forward. It's not that you lost to LSU. Okay, it, it that's was a given. Right. It's worry. It's worry that you're not going to win another game. It's worry that if you go to Arkansas in a few weeks, as bad as they are, and you play the way you did against Tennessee, you may lose that one. It's worry among state fans that you're going to host Ole Miss, and if your offense plays the way it has, you're going to lose the Egg Bowl. It's, a, it's, it's worry about what's going to come in the future. And, Roger, look, if we blink and – you know, if we black out and wake up in December and somebody says to you, hey, it worked out fine. They scored 35 points against Arkansas. They scored 50 against Abilene Christian, and they won the Egg Bowl, you know, 31 to 28. You're like, oh, okay, fine. That'd they, knock you back out. You, really? They got three more wins. They went to a bowl. They put up points on the board, and they did it with a freshman quarter. They must have figured out something on it, and now they can move forward. Let me ask you, why aren't we hearing – similar things about Matt Luke what what's the deal with it's a Joe great Moorhead? question are, you, are they going to be talking about that expectations on the show you used to be on? Yeah. expectations so they didn't expect much okay. there were no expectations for that team coming in and so far they have been in some ways a little better they certainly have been better on defense than they were either of the past two years and the expectation for their offense I, I mean they put up some points now a lot of it also, Roger, has to do with they were so bad on offense in the first game against Memphis that the points they've put up and the explosiveness they've had with Plumlee in the game since then has given them some hope. And it has the look of a team that is – they may not have the highest capability and the most potential, but that they are fighting and scratching and clawing and they're making some plays early in games. Therefore, it gives them you know, the idea they, they're, they've got a chance in some of those games. I it's think just the key like word this. there was hope. You're hope. saying that a lot of state fans have lost that. That's right. Tim on the text line said, "Some coaches get the most out of their teams, and some don't. And it doesn't matter what level it is. That's what we're talking about, you know, with culture. But this idea, this thing right here, are they well coached? What is well coached? That is taking a group of players that that." are chasing down their own potential. They are running it down, man. And maybe even before the season is up, they're bump, bump, bumping their head on their own ceiling, getting all they can get out of who they are. Right? Now, and a lot of that's coaching. You got to get them fired up. Scheme, player development. Yeah, motivation, sure, if you want to put that in there. Potential being that word. 
You know, they're playing to their capability. Is a team underachieving or overachieving according to who they are? And I, that's the, the – that's – it's not so much the overall team. You know, look at what State's defense did. They got some stops. They forced some field goals. They had they held LSU under 40 points. The first time a team has held LSU under 40 points going back to last season. LSU had scored 40-plus points in nine straight games going into Saturday. State held them under 40. Okay. It's not so much the overall team in that game on Saturday. It's just when I look at the last three games, the the offensive line as a unit is massively underperforming based on who I think they are and who they think they can be. And I think uh, so much of your offensive problems start and end right there before we even get to the quarterback thing. Double B on the phone line. What's up, Double B? Hey, Matt. Hey, man. Hey, I hear so much about if this team shows up, then we'll play. We can beat so-and-so. And if this team shows up, we're going to lose. It, it seems to me if you can call, uh, like after the game this this past uh, Saturday, the Moorhead emphasized how they, they in their planning the whole week it was to give a better effort, to play harder, to not quit. If you can call on that and get it, that that to me says the effort has been there, but it just hadn't been re, uh, pulled out of the players. Isn't that a coach's uh, responsibility to get that out of the players? And if he doesn't get it out of a particular player, then he moves the one behind this next in line and uh, and and keeps moving till he gets that effort it is it, you're you're touching on an accuracy there double b but you we have to remember it is a head coach's responsibility to make sure that his coaching staff is developing and getting everything out of the player well, you know a head coach very rarely coaches a position almost never right Okay, so right. so there's a reason you're kind of the head coach is you oversee everything. It's all under your watch care. But the guys who are actually putting the hours in at practice with the wide receivers, that's another guy. But it's the head coach's job to keep an eye on it and know and accurately diagnose what's happening there. Okay, and so Double B, listen, here's what – would scare me if I were a fan is if a team kept underperforming and not being any good in games yet they were coming out of practice legitimately thinking they were going to be good because it's like you take your car to the mechanic the most important thing that will happen to your car while it's at the shop is the diagnosis because if you miss that if you whiff on the diagnosis you could spend all your money and it's still going to make that racket it's still going to rattle. And and frankly, on any team, it's the head coach's job to accurately diagnose the whole thing so that you know what to fix, how to fix it, and how to coach around it. Double B, thanks for the call, man. See you all tomorrow. Hi. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. See you tomorrow. See you. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show.